are listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bateman. Check out anxietycanada.com for more totally free anxiety resources, including our app MindShift CBT. I'm talking to Melissa Robichaud, registered psychologist at the Vancouver CBT Center. Hi, Melissa. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. Uh, I guess, you know, the first thing I, I will probably ask you is basically what's your anxiety story? You you are a psychologist, so what kind of drove you to get into that field? Um, uh, into the field of anxiety. Um, well, that started when I first did my master's, uh, my master's and my PhD. Um, I was working in research, and the research area I was working in was an anxiety disorder. It was generalized anxiety disorder. Um, and from there, I started to, I started to see uh, people clinically for treatment um, uh, who had anxiety, who had different anxiety disorders. And it was a great experience because the thing about anxiety disorders is that they're, they are treatable. So as a, as a psychologist, as a clinician, working with people who actually get better is incredibly rewarding. Uh, so that's really, that became over the years my area of specialization. So at this point, I just see people who have anxiety disorders and I do CBT or cognitive behavior therapy. Oh, that sounds, yeah, that sounds fabulous. So you didn't really have any experience personally in your life. You just wanted to help people. Well, I mean, to the extent that everybody does. Yeah. Um, I, and I can say... Uh, my personal experience is that, actually, is that I almost didn't go into psychology because I had a horrible fear of public speaking. And when I was doing my undergraduate um, uh, in university, whenever I had a class um, where I had to give any kind of public, um, you know, sort of um, any public talking at all, even for five minutes, I would wait very patiently till the end of the class and then toddle over to registrars and drop out. <laughs> and, and I did that for years. Yeah. Um, and then I found out that in order to do your honors and then eventually get into graduate school that you would have to do all of these presentations. And I almost dropped out just for that. Really? So because of your anxiety about that, you yeah. almost didn't do, get into the field yeah. at all? Yeah. So because, how, what, what yeah. drove you? How did you get through that? Well, it was horrible because whenever I would speak, um, whenever I had any kind of public speaking, I would get really red in the face. Uh, I would stutter sometimes, and I would get that sort of sound in my ears. It was almost like, you know, like that, that sound you get when you put a, a seashell to your ear. Like, ah. So um, you could like almost hear your own heart beating or something. Yes, yes. The blood and, rushing through. That's right. And, you know, I, I was sort of at this place where am I really going to not do this thing that I've worked for for so many years just because of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided to do that. But I, I, I used to do all these things to try to compensate. Um, I used to, I wear glasses for distance. I would not wear my glasses so that people were kind of a bit f- fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Um, I would... Um, uh, I would speak really fast, and so what usually would end up happening is that mm-hmm. if I had a 10-minute talk, it was done in two minutes. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I would try to prepare longer and this and that, and, and you know, I, I basically had to do a whole bunch of things, and eventually I, without realizing it, I kind of did CBT on myself, is that just by having to do all these presentations, I eventually 
got a bit better at it and got less anxious, and that's sort of how it kind of went from there. So, I mean, that was my personal experience, but I'd say everyone has anxiety. Sometimes that's completely normal, yeah. uh, but mine was pretty significant in that yeah. case. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, of course, the wisdom is that every, you know, anxiety is an emotion that you have, just like fear, just like any of our other standard emotions. But some people, it just starts to take control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. So you felt like that you 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 kind of acquired, you know, outside of your education, you acquired sort of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy tools yourself. You 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 kind of made them up yourself? Well, no, I think there's, you know, the thing about CBT is that it's quite logical. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, a big part of what I do when I see people clinically is I sort of explain what anxiety is and how it works and how people develop anxiety disorders because, Mm -hmm. truthfully, we come by them quite honestly. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, like there's a lot of logic to it, right? So, like, when I say that I sort of CBT'd myself, it was, I think most of us kind of understand that in order to get over a fear, sometimes you have to drive a truck straight through it. Yeah. So, you know, avoidance isn't working. I'm yeah. going to have to actually sort of do this. And so hopefully, sort of the, if I do it enough times, it'll get easier. Yeah, for sure. So that's the equivalent of sort of a uh, exposure therapy. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I've, I've had a few people in my life who, from what I can, uh, you know, gather, haven't really had a lot of anxiety disorders. And they've given me advice over the, over the years which hasn't come, come across as sounding at all like cognitive behavioral therapy, but it really is just in kind of a different clothing. Yes. Yeah, so they, it, but that's what I like about cognitive behavioral therapy is that it does sort of lay out the specific rules. Is that what, I mean, there's many different ways to, to tackle psychology. Uh, what was it about cognitive behavioral therapy that really worked with you? Well, I'm a pretty logical person, um, I, I'd say, and the thing about it is, like I said, I started in research. Right. So, you know, all the research that I did uh, during my PhD was on, was on anxiety, was on anxiety disorders, and on CBT models of how we understand anxiety disorders. And like I said, the, the area that I focused in was generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. So the CBT model sort of explaining how is it that people develop GAD um, it's just really interesting and logical and testable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, definitely sort of making sense of why people do what they do mm-hmm. um, in a way that's sort of approachable and sort of, you know, that you can just understand intellectually right. um, is just, you know, I just thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, um, sure. You know, and, and I was really lucky. I got to work with some really great researchers over the years, you know, and, and the more you understand it, then you, you want to help other people understand because, and that's a big part of what I do is explain. And, you know, that's, that's a big part of CBT. We call it psychoeducation, which is really just explaining how these things work, right. which is kind of necessary because if you think about it, you get a basic dental health education from when you're really young. You learn how to brush your teeth and how to floss, but nobody ever teaches you how are you supposed to manage anxiety? Yeah. How you, yeah, yeah. What are you supposed to do, right? So we're just sort of wandering around in the wilderness trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. and some things work and some things don't, and CBT is like, well, here, this is what works, and this is what doesn't, yeah. and, you know, this is the way to kind of get out of it. Yeah, for sure. And, in, in, you know, all the studies definitely lean CBT's way. They've been keeping, keeping studies for well over 40 years, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
and, and it tests, of course, favorably, favorably against medication and, uh, and other techniques. How, how much do you, I guess what I'm wondering about, I've been to, you know, a psychiatrist before who dealt primarily with CBT. Um, and I found it difficult because there were, there was no real, um, in this situation, there was no real allowance for emotion to happen. Do you, do you kind of have a, have room for emotion within your practice? You know, it's, um, it's funny. Uh, there've been critiques that have been launched against CBT over the years. And sometimes that's one of them. Right. And, uh, which is valid. What I would say for that is mostly those who don't allow for emotion aren't really doing CBT properly mm-hmm. as therapists. That's not on your, you know, like that's not on your end. Right. That's on the person that you were seeing mm-hmm. because emotion is all over that. Like, of, of course, we focus on thoughts and behaviors because that's the, those are the pieces that we can learn to change, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we can change what we do. We can learn to change how we think or approach or interpret situations. Mm-hmm. But you can't really directly target emotion in the sense that if I said to you, get angry, you would probably have to think of something that would make you angry. Right. Yeah, but that's in, true. But emotions are, of course, they're the backdrop of everything. Right. So, you know, um, like often that's just a matter of, you know, am I seeing someone who really, really, really knows how to do this? Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, like um, there's a lot of amazing workbooks and, you know, and the Anxiety Canada website is just filled with all this really good information. Yeah. But if you see a psychologist, you really want to make sure that that's someone who's really been adequately trained that they can sort of help you with that. Because if you're feeling that, you know what, like, I feel like there's no space for my feelings around this. It's like, ah, uh, there's something missing with that. Oh, well, definitely. Because that's, yeah, like you said, that's where, that's what it all revolves around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about your involvement with Anxiety Canada. So I, let me see, I first got involved with Anxiety Canada when it was still Anxiety uh, BC. Yeah, which isn't too long ago still. That's right, yeah. and um, uh, I think that was about <coughs> excuse me um, about oh maybe nine ten years ago. Oh, quite a while ago now. Yeah, and I was on the um, um, I was on the board um, the board of directors for several years, mm-hmm. and um, uh, uh, because I knew some of the founders of the organization, <coughs> excuse me, and because I've always been really really implicated and sort of wanting to help. Um, disseminate information about anxiety and mm-hmm. destigmatize it and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then I was, um, I, I worked as a director of programs um, and so was involved in videos and presentations. So I've sort of, and now I'm on the scientific advisory board. Right. Um, so I've sort of had, you know, sometimes one, sometimes two or three fingers um, in the pot yeah. um, um, of Anxiety Canada. Yeah, yeah. For sure, yeah, it's yeah, it's a wonderful organization for that for sure. And your your private practice. So how how often how, how many people do you do you end up seeing a day? Like how 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 much do you end up working with this? So I see around five or six people a day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I have. So are you strictly private yeah. practice at this point? Yes. Yes, I used to. Um, uh, I, I used to work in hospitals. There used to be um, uh, um, an anxiety source clinic um, that I worked in. It's hard to find uh, places sometimes um, 
uh, you know, like uh, public resources. Right. Um, unfortunately, I think that's a bit of a funding thing. Yeah, that's what I hear a lot. Of yeah, too. yeah. Uh, but you know, the, the the thing is that the need is huge. I mean, there have been times when I would say my wait list is not as bad now, but my wait list has sometimes been upwards of a year. That's un- that's unbelievable. And that is not atypical of anyone, um, any psychologist who, like me, specializes specifically in anxiety disorders, yeah. um, where there's just so many people who, um, who are struggling, and I mean struggling for a long time. Um, some of the research shows that people with anxiety disorders will wait, on average, up to 20 years before they seek help. That's amazing. Uh, do you think that's indicative of of this era that we're like? Do you feel like we're moving into a new era where hopefully that won't be the case, where people will recognize their symptoms earlier? I mean, I guess that's essentially what we're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. So, do you, do you think that's indicative of of the the previous era, or, or do you think that's just that's just the way it is still? Oh, it's definitely a part of the previous era, era but I don't think we're totally out of that. Yeah. Um, I think we're moving in that direction, but. Mental health does not nearly have the place, um, the respect accorded to it that, you know, um, that we have towards other, you know, like other parts of our health. Like I'm constantly comparing mental health to things like dental health and physical health yeah. because we don't use the same standards. Yeah. You know, like we understand that our dental health doesn't take care of itself. Yeah, you, you have to do things. Sometimes you need to see someone to help you. And that there's no shame in that. It's not a personal weakness. It reflects nothing about you other than some people, you know, like have, you know, uh, dental issues that come up because it's always work. Well, why don't we look at mental health like that? Why do you, why do you think that? Like, why do you think the human brain is that much more difficult for people to, to access as being just part of us? Well, you know, part of it is because you can't see it, yeah. right? Like, I always say, you know, like anxiety doesn't show in your face. You know, like you don't break out in purple hives. Mm-hmm. when you get anxious. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a blessing and a curse. It's mm-hmm. a blessing because you can go around, you can live your life, and even though you're struggling, people can't see it, right? right? So, you know, if I have, you know, like if I have something to do at work, you know, I might be anxious, but other people can't see it. Right. I mean, I told you that I was really anxious about public speaking, and there was times when I just thought, oh my gosh, I did horrible, and then people would come up to me later and said, oh, you just looked great. You, just, yeah. you were so confident. Yeah. They didn't see it. No. So in a way, it's a blessing. Yeah. But it's also a curse because it means that others don't see it. Yeah. And so how often do you get, you know, like where you might tell someone like, oh, I'm just so, I just, I'm so anxious or I'm just so upset or so down. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the sort of well-meaning thing that people will say is, well, you don't look it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's okay. You just look fine. Just relax. It's okay. Yeah, I guess, I guess so there's also education on the other side for people to, to, know how to react mm-hmm. to that kind of feedback when they get it. You know, if somebody says, I- I'm not doing well, I guess that's, that's the other side of the coin as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and the funny thing is, is anyone who's ever had anxiety, if you actually start talking to people, you start to realize that everyone, everyone, everyone either has anxiety themselves, and I'm not talking normal anxiety. Everybody has anxiety. It's a little bit like depression. Everybody yeah. is down sometimes. Yeah. The fact that you're anxious doesn't mean you have an anxiety disorder. Right. And I think, by the way, that's the other problem is sometimes you'll hear people saying, oh, people are making such a big deal about anxiety. Hey, it's normal. People had it before. And nobody who works in mental health is saying, anytime you're anxious, that's a bad thing. Yeah. 
we're just, you know, it's like when it's so bad that you can't function, that you're, that you're miserable, that, you know, it's like that you're, uh, you know, like that you're overwhelmed and sort of kind of living in this little, you know, this, this, this closed up little world of fear by yourself, that there's ways to get out of that, right? Yeah. And the truth is, is that most everyone has either had that experience or knows someone who has. It's amazing the degree of separation is, is usually one. Uh, if I talk to somebody, I open up to somebody, if they aren't, if they haven't had some kind of anxiety, trauma in their life, mm-hmm. then it's somebody very close to them. It's a friend, it's a family member, it's somebody very close. Exactly. You know, I used to say, you know, if they talk to any psychologist who specializes in anxiety and depression, if, you know, and they'll never tell anyone that, like, when they go to a party, because all that's going to happen is everyone's going to want to talk to you about their anxiety. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> well, Melissa, I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about anxiety. Um, and uh, good luck in the future. We appreciate everything you've done with Anxiety Canada as well. Oh, thanks so much. It was great talking to you. Okay, take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bateman. Check out anxietycanada.com for more anxiety resources, including our app MindShift CBT. And if you like what you hear, please consider making a donation. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Until next time.